So when I was a kid, probably about late grade school, early middle school, <clears throat> there was a fire in this building next to my house. And, and the concern was that that fire was going to spread to the next building, which had flammable materials in it. And, and there was the potential that that could cause an explosion. And so my parents, you know, liking that they had us kids, decided that they would not have us in the house just in case. So we were evacuated from our home and, and taken to uh, neighbors down the street to spend the night as the fire raged on into the next day. And it was the first time that I knew my dad, he was a fireman. I knew that he was a fireman and would go out on calls, but it was the first time it ever impacted my family. So needless to say, I did not get any sleep that night as I was worried about him. And my mom also was not with us. She stayed on site to help take care of the firemen. So our house ended up being okay, but I was very much aware that the only thing that came in to retrieve from the house in my memory was us three kids. Nothing else. They didn't bother taking care of all of the important pictures, which were family treasures. They didn't get paperwork. They didn't get out um, any of the coin collections. They just grabbed the kids and took us somewhere else. Cut to my adult life, and y'all remember the wildfires that raged a few years back, several years ago now? That impacted a lot of us here. And I was warned, you know, I was living on the east side, and that there was an opportunity that wildfires could spread and be a problem in my neighborhood. So I started thinking about what would I need to take and started working on a master list of the important things like IDs and cell phones and laptops and all this stuff. And I was perfecting that list as I went. It was great. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I need all this stuff. has to go with me if I'm evacuated. And then I thought, well, maybe I should just get a box. You know, this stuff is really important. So I probably should just go ahead and gather it all, put it in a box and set it by the door to have it ready to go in a moment's notice. Then I got to the point where I'm like, well, I might as well just pack that box and put it in the car so that it's there. It's safe. And I have all these worldly treasures that I have to have and cannot do without. So my parents maybe had better priorities than I do. So I think I need to pray. Would you join me? <laughs> Holy God, help to, uh, help to make us have better priorities in our lives. Guide us in a way that we're able to see what you would have us to know as precious Give us your wisdom so that we have a better understanding of what matters in this world and what is okay to let go of. Help us to hear your word spoken to us this morning as we worship you. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. And God's word for us today begins in the 12th chapter in the Gospel of Luke. Someone in the crowd is someone is a younger brother and he's talking to Jesus about his older brother. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do for I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, well, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, and this is our favorite part, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. So Jesus offers us, he teaches us, and we know this is a good word of wisdom because it comes from Jesus, that one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. We can understand that. That's a pretty simple statement to wrap our minds around. 
Except the world is telling us every day, all day long, in so many different ways that we need possessions. We have to buy more and bigger and improved to be happy, to be satisfied. We need possessions. And so what happens is our eyes start to stray from this word of God. And we start to see our neighbor's new landscaping and holiday decorations. We see our friend's new minivan. <laughs> we see that colleague's new touchscreen laptop that's so much cooler than our own. And what we end up doing is committing our time and our talent and our resources to the purpose and pursuit of accumulating stuff. And it makes us ill in our spirits. It gives us this condition called RHS, restless heart syndrome. Has anybody been diagnosed with that from their doctor? I had, I had some confessions at the 930 service. So I was impressed. Its primary symptom is discontent. And we try to treat it with worldly cures. Anything we can get a hold of to treat that symptom of discontent is really just a placebo. It can never satisfy us. It can never treat our discontentment for long. It's like taking an aspirin to cure cancer. No matter what we chase after, no matter what we acquire, we can't shake this affliction that is in our hearts but also on our minds of being constantly dissatisfied and longing for more and wanting and wanting and wanting. And the saddest place that I see this affliction, restless heart syndrome, where it breaks my heart, is with our church family. We confuse our own self-righteousness with God's righteousness. The moment some of us hear a Sunday school lesson or a Bible study reflection or a sermon that disturbs our personal sensibilities, we are all righteous indignation and unhappy with church. We skip classes on certain topics, and yes, the pastor's here when you skip your Sunday school class because you don't like a topic or a speaker. We shun brothers and sisters in Christ and refuse to talk to them. And we walk out of worship services early when the pastor doesn't say what we want the pastor to say in the sermon. Just last month, Frank Jacks Jr. got mad at me when I didn't speak hard enough on a particular topic in my sermon. And then someone else, same sermon, got mad at me because I said too much on that same topic. Discontentment holds sway over all perspectives. And it is a struggle for us to sort out what we should be discontent about. There are things we should be discontent about. And then the things that we are discontent about in the world. And I figure there are at least two good categories for us to consider. The worldly and the holy discontent. So much of our discontentment comes from the things that come and go. Seasons that come to pass but do not come to stay. Matters that are more about our own will and desires in small moments that if we're paying attention are really not as significant as the attention we're giving them. Anytime that you're peeved about someone else's driving or their parking job or how many items are in their shopping cart at the checkout line at the grocery store, that might be worldly discontentment. We experience discontentment over what we have or don't have. Like, if it doesn't rain, we can want it to rain. If it does rain, we complain about the rain. <laughs> Sermon illustrations abound, right? Yeah. And we oftentimes have too much contentment, maybe, about how much time we spend reading Scripture or sharing Christ's love or being in conversation with God or with others about God. Once we've offered our random act of kindness for the day, we can check that box off like a task achieved, 
and celebrate the job that we did of being good. So I did a little poll about these two kinds of discontent, the worldly kind and the holy kind, and created lists about what might seem a little more worldly and what seems more holy to some of our worship leaders here in the church. And I'm going to put up a word salad in a minute, but first I'm going to comment on worldly discontent. It's easy to achieve. It doesn't take any effort on our part, and it's often connected with a grass is greener attitude or with fear or with insecurity. And just seeing some of these words that are going to be on the screen might make you feel discontent just seeing the words. And so let's take a deep breath and breathe it out. We're hearing this together. Under the worldly category, fill in the blank with these words. And the blank is, I am not content with. And you have a lot of options here. Inconvenience is probably my favorite. It is definitely the deadliest of the sins of malcontent. Zero tolerance for this one in our society. As you look at these words, if you start to feel riled up, you can close your eyes and just keep breathing. A lot of these words get us stirred up and cranky. And some of us go to Facebook to rant and tell the world how others who disagree with us are wrong. And we use other bad words or bad sentiments that should not be a part of our regular vocabulary as we share life in Christ beyond these church walls. If you missed Sherry's benediction last week, definitely check it out. It is posted with her sermon at the end. You want to listen to that. And listen for a reminder to all of us about how we may be failing to speak a gospel message of love in our post to the world that is listening to how Christians speak and watching how Christians live. And they see our discontent. Leaving church and entering the world beyond the walls doesn't mean we stop following Jesus where our hearts should be hurting, though, and there's plenty of discontentment, where our minds are troubled is God's holy discontentment stirred up in us when we fill in the blank of this statement, I should be discontent with separation from God. I should be discontent with violence. I should be discontent with poverty. We're not meant to be content with any of these as we're continuing in our series, God's Enough, and how we can cultivate generosity, we can take a look at our efforts here at Bethany as part of the body of Christ. How do we respond to discontentment? Where do our attention and energy and resources go in seeking to offer Christ and glorify God? You have an announcement insert that lists a lot of different ministry areas. Ways that we try to address that by sharing God's love, by being in community with one another, by taking care of each other. Every year we look back at what we have done so that we can look ahead at what we can do for the kingdom of God work that we are meant to be about. So I'm going to share with you a glimpse of what this can look like, of how our Bethany family may be addressing that restless heart that many of us feel.
So this is a picture of Bethany addressing those areas of discontentment that we're aware of by worshiping together, music together, playing together, studying, praying, out in the world and mission activities, caring for one another and our neighbors beyond these walls. So many ways that we unite together and make a beautiful family out of what happens when we do that. Our purpose here as one family in the body of Christ we say it every time we gather in this space to lead others to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in his image. And I get that maybe that sounds like something that we do when we're here in church together, but that's not it. It's a part of the commission of every follower of Jesus that we hear if we pursue a life of discipleship. Wherever we go and whatever we do, we are commanded to live as disciples leading others to Christ. And at our best... We should feel very discontent if what we do is not glorifying God or growing us as disciples or helping share life in Christ with others as a way of living. We become a little too content with just going along to get along with the ways of the world. For most of us, the biggest obstacle to sharing Christ in the world beyond these walls is just our own sense of social awkwardness or fear of rejection and nothing more than that. Then there's the Apostle Paul who was in prison for sharing Christ, and he was still not daunted. Paul was dissatisfied any time the world told him not to speak of the gospel, and he found greater contentment as long as it was a life in Christ that he offered. And so from prison, he continues his work. Not that I am referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little. And I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. Paul wrote from the terrible position of being in prison, facing potential execution, and his mind is on encouraging churches to persevere in their faith. People who are free, not in jail, and they're choosing poorly. Our friends in the faith need us to do the same, to see them where they are, to see where they forget themselves as children of God who are followers of Jesus and to speak Christ to them, to not let them choose poorly. I know I am so grateful for the brothers and sisters in the faith that I have who, when they see me making poor choices, they will remind me to turn from my evil worldly ways to reconcile myself once again with God. And I hope I'm able to offer a word of Paul like that to you. Read all of Philippians. It's only four chapters. Paul encourages Christians to stand firm in their faith against worldly practices and worldly opposition. To rejoice in Christ, no matter what it is they have to endure. And to stand firm in pursuing humility and unity. It does not take much effort to realize that the world is telling us the opposite. And that Paul's word reminds us of how much the world needs to hear this good message of faith and unity and humility in Christian living. Some of you here have done that very thing for others. Some of you have done that for me, and you may not even realize it. But when you speak a word of mercy or forgiveness or love, be content in knowing that you are a reminder of how we are to live and move and have our beings in Christ but before we can support one another well, we have to start with ourselves. We have to do our internal work. And you have some advice to consider in your announcement insert in our weekly questions under cultivating contentment. So you don't have to write these down. But these come from Adam Hamilton's book, Enough. 
And they're good points to ponder regardless of your theology, so check them out. These four ways to cultivate contentment. The first one I hear a lot, remember that it could be worse. And I do a lot of hospital visits, and I hear a lot of sad, hard situations in the world. This week, my little sad circumstance was I was in the dentist chair for three hours. I've spent weeks and months with the dentist at times throughout my whole life, and I've got more to come. But thinking about cultivating contentment as I've got this trauma happening in my life in that moment, I am praying for my sisters and a brother here at Bethany who are struggling in some capacity with breast cancer. And I know that several of these folks have bigger concerns for others that they hurt for and they're praying for because they tell themselves it could be worse. Number two, ask yourself, how long will this make me happy? Retail therapy has a quick expiration date. It has a very short shelf life. There's always something soon after that you will have the same desire to buy, the same need to alleviate some negative emotion or stress or just to make a distraction. If you have money that is burning a hole in your pocket, you can give it to a charity of your choice so that it goes to a place of need instead of your place of want. Number three, develop a grateful heart. John Wynn taught me that attitude is everything. Pick a good one. We have the ability to do that. We have control over our own sense of attitude and gratitude, to be mindful of the abundance of blessings in our lives. Hanford Ferguson always teaches to keep a blessings journal, to count each day's blessings, to spend more time giving thanks than in complaining. And we have to ask ourselves, where does my soul find true satisfaction? The world has a lot of answers to this question. Luxury, comfort, money, being right. The Bible has one answer. Only in God. God alone. We are meant to long for God, to seek God. Our souls thirst for God and that thirst can only be quenched by God and cannot be satisfied by anything else. Paul's own seeker to contentment was found in his claiming, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is the source of his holy content. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We can find lasting and true satisfaction for our souls and unending contentment only in living in loving relationship with God and loving relationships with one another as Christ taught and did and commanded us. The writer of Hebrew offers instructions for us to keep our lives free from the love of money and to be content with what we have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? This is a challenge to us from Jesus. To receive his kingdom of God promise and still be in this broken world. To wrestle with being content in him. Even as the many discontents grab us from the messy, greedy world around and so hand in hand with a life of contentment, pursuing holy contentment, is finding ways to simplify our lives in the world. And the book Enough offers us ways to begin. It's in the context of consumerism, for one, and there are many other ways to extend this practice into our lives. But five ways to simplify our lives. Since finances are often connected with our discontent and we're being mindful of good stewardship, we're going to start here. One, to set a goal of reducing your consumption and choose to live below your means. So I read a couple different statistics. America is something like 45 to 5% of the world's population. 
but it produces 40% of the world's garbage. This is a really easy goal to achieve. It could be as simple as replacing paper with cloth napkins. It could be a more fuel-efficient car. This country is abundant with options to be less wasteful. Changing your thermostat setting by a degree or two. You can be creative. This is actually a good way to try to keep up with the Joneses. You know, the Bethany Joneses or other Joneses. No, I don't want to pick on you. All right. <laughs> but see, out of all your neighbors, see who can pay the less in your utilities. That would be a good goal to strive for. Before making a purchase, ask yourself, do I really need this? Or why do I want this? Think your purchase is over for 24 hours before buying and most of the time, they will find that the urge is past, unless you really need jalapeno potato chips. You do, yeah. Scott Sims pointed out at 9.30, those were gone within 24 hours too. <laughs> Probably so. We get that. You can rent things sometimes to avoid making a big purchase. And I, I realize that I'm in Texas, I'm going to get some daggers thrown at me with your stairs, but how often do you actually use the bed of a pickup truck? I've been in that argument with people before, do you really need a pickup truck? If you're only going to use that bed once a year, maybe, you, uh, you know, I know, it's Texas. You need one. I get that. Use something up before buying something new. We are in such a throwaway society. We don't repair things. We throw them away. We don't maintain things so that they will last longer. And technology changes so fast, we are almost throwing away our electronics just as fast so that we can get the latest eye products and keep up with it. Plan low-cost entertainment that enriches. Who has kids and grandkids here? All right, a lot of hands up. I know there are hands that aren't up that also do. But if you don't know about free fun in Austin, you are missing out. You can Google that, free fun in Austin for free things to do or low-cost things. Then there's a library. There are board games, so many outdoor spaces, hiking. So much it costs little or no money to entertain the mind and occupy your time. And then ask yourself, are there major changes that would allow me to simplify my life? And this one is, is a little bit harder because we create all these little G-gods that we think are masters of our life. We think that it's true that we cannot do without them. But you can downsize. You can downsize your car. You can downsize your home. The bigger the house, the bigger all your expenses, your utilities, the bigger your debt, the bigger your stress. All that comes with it. You can pursue as a major change a debt-free life. We've mentioned Financial Peace University as one of those options if, if you want to make that. You, if you have any debt, I can't recommend that one enough to choose otherwise in order to simplify your life. But contentment and simplicity both are achievable. It's all up to you to make that choice for yourself. That's the hard part. I have a couple people praying for me right now as I struggle with some issues in self-discipline myself where I make a choice but won't make a good choice. But a final word. I have this little token hanging up in my bathroom as a reminder. And I encourage you to pick your own contentment mantra, to be content no matter what happens around you. My contentment mantra is from 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. I encourage you to consider what scriptures will be helpful for you in your life to cultivate your own contentment. And as I close this in prayer, I'm going to put up one more word salad here in just a moment and invite you to receive these words that will be on the screen as, as invitations, as reminders, as commands to you 
to pursue contentment for your life and to be well-led in God's gift of enough to you as you offer Christ in the world in these ways. Let us pray. Holy God, as we receive your good words for us this day, help us to be mindful of all of the manners in which your love is poured out into our lives, whether that is forgiveness or mercy, whether that is hope or your love in some way from some person. Guide us, God, in this way, in this direction. Let this be what fills our minds and our hearts and our spirits so that these are the gifts that we may offer into a world so discontent without you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.